the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Elijah lived in a day and age where God's people who had God's truth disregarded the worship of the Lord. And we're living in that day and age too. Christians are running after so many other things, worshiping so many things. And there's coming, and there is already in the church, an insensitivity to the word of God. There's immorality, there's a disregard to the holy standards of God, there's the sacrificing of our children, not to fire, not to Baal, but to corruption, to sin. And our day and age is not much different than Elijah's. We've got a lot of people doing a lot of religious things and religious activity, but there's very few who are worshiping the Lord. We've run after Baal as well. We just call it different things. I'm afraid we think that because we don't have statues of false gods in our houses and our churches, that we don't have a problem with idolatry. We keep right on worshiping money and things and self and everything else that can substitute itself for God in our lives. We keep up a good front of religious activity, but God is far away from our hearts. We say it doesn't really matter what else I worship as long as I keep up the appearance of worshiping God. That's just like the Israelites in Elijah's day. It even seemed like a good idea to add Baal to their God shelf. They didn't get rid of God. They just pushed him over a little bit to make room for another God named Baal. Aren't we guilty of the same attitude? God has to compete with so many things that we are pursuing. We wouldn't say it out loud, but he's even in the way sometimes of what is really important to us. We know we can't get rid of him, but we try to marginalize him without even blinking an eye. We could certainly use an Elijah who calls us to get serious about God's place in our lives. But we also need to decide who we are going to serve. We need to stop straddling the spiritual fence. We need to stop playing the Laodiceans who were neither cold nor hot. You can only sit on the fence for so long before God pushes you off. These messages might come from a time over 2,500 years ago, but they are absolutely relevant to our time today. You are listening to Pastor Steve Kreloff, our Bible teacher, here on Verse by Verse Radio. We want you to understand the Bible the way God intended, but we also want you to apply the principles that are being taught to your daily life. So don't just listen for the information. Listen for the application as well. Now let's get back to the message. Here's Pastor Steve. And so this morning, we're going to lay down the foundation for that understanding. We're going to look at two things, very simple, two things. That will introduce to us two things that will introduce Elijah to us and will pave the way for us to understand the rest of his life and ministry. We're going to look, first of all, at the source of his conflicts. Why was this man always confronting people? Why was there a conflict? Why is his ministry centered around conflict? Did he look for conflict? Was he a troublemaker? What, he go looking for these things? No. But we're going to see the source of his conflicts. And number two, we're going to see the secret of his courage. He didn't run from these conflicts. He met them head on. And we're going to learn lessons about courage, the secret of his courage. First of all, let's look at the source of his conflicts. 
You can't understand Elijah's ministry nor his life unless you first understand the times in which he lived. There is a tendency for us to go immediately into the text. There's a tendency for Bible teachers to go immediately into the text. And you'll not understand the word of God and the ministry of Elijah unless you understand the desperate times in which he lived. He didn't look for conflicts, but conflicts came because of the ungodliness of the day in which Elijah lived. He lived during one of Israel's darkest hours. One of the darkest. After Solomon died, the kingdom was divided. It split into two parts. There was the southern kingdom under a man named Rehoboam. And this was called Judah. And when you see in your Old Testament, Judah, from this time forth, from Solomon's time forth, you know that it is the southern kingdom under Rehoboam, Judah. But there was the northern kingdom under Jeroboam called Israel. Israel is the northern kingdom and Judah is the southern kingdom. Elijah lived and ministered in the northern kingdom called Israel. Now every one of the kings of Israel was wicked and was evil. And it was all started by Jeroboam. And what did he do? I'm not going to have you turn back there, but it would be good for you to read 1 Kings at least up to chapter 17 and get the background of this. Jeroboam was really paranoid in his ministry. The kingdom had split. He was in the north. Rehoboam was in the south. They didn't get along. There was conflict. He didn't want the Jewish people of his kingdom going down south to Jerusalem in Judah, in Judea. Didn't want them going down during the festivals, during the feasts. So what he did is he established in two cities of his area, he established golden calves. He set them up, altars and golden calves to worship them. He set up idolatry in Israel. They were to worship two calves of gold. Not only that, he corrupted the priesthood. And from there on in, There was sin in Israel. Every successive king was rotten. In that line, there was a drunkard. There was a murderer. They were guilty of treason. It was just wickedness in Israel. They worshipped golden calves. The priesthood was corrupted. It was a terrible day in Israel. The king under which Elijah ministered was the worst of all of them. His name was Ahab. And I invite you to look in chapter 16, verses 29 through 30. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. This fellow was absolutely the worst. In fact, if you've ever had the privilege of listening to the famous Southern Baptist preacher R.G. Lee, his message, which is very well known, called Payday Someday, R.G. Lee calls Ahab a vile toad of a man who squatted upon the throne of Israel. That's how wicked this man was. There is no language that fits the, the wickedness of this man. Why? Why was he worse than the other kings? Well, look at verse 31. And following. And it came about 
as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made the Asherah, thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Why was he so bad? Listen, the other kings were real bad. They worshipped golden calves. But Ahab went beyond that. The Bible says it was a trivial thing to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. In other words, he wasn't satisfied with that sin, with calf worship and the corruption of the priesthood. He set up Baal worship. And why did he do that? Because he went and married a non-Israelite woman named Jezebel. Forbidden by God. And the other kings didn't do that. At least they married Jewish women. But Ahab, and probably, which was, probably what it was was a political move, married Jezebel. Jezebel was a jealous worshiper of the false god Baal, the god of, of the sun and the god of, of the crops and the god of anything that is reproductive in nature as far as vegetation and things like that are concerned. And when she married Ahab, she was determined that Jehovah must die. She came into Israel and she saw that Israel worshipped the one true God and she said, I'm going to substitute, I'm going to kill Jehovah and I'm going to set up Baal worship here. And Ahab went right along with her and they established that the official form of religion in Israel was Baal worship. Her goal was to rid God's ancient people of their devotion to Jehovah and replace him with Baal. It was a day of serious apostasy in Israel, perhaps as they have never had since that time. And it was Satan's attempt to corrupt and destroy the nation of Israel, God's ancient people, the, the people that God had separated uniquely for himself. Why? Because he wanted them above all things to know that the Lord was one God and was a holy God and they were to live differently, and they were to be a testimony to the Gentile nations, and now they're no testimony. They're following Baal. Ahab and Jezebel mocked Jehovah by establishing Baal worship. Not only that, Jezebel killed Jehovah's prophets. Others were hiding in a cave in fear. There were 7,000, the Bible says, who had not bowed the knee to Baal, but they didn't speak up for the Lord either. It was a dark hour. Baal worship brought open immorality to Israel. There were open orgies. There was lascivious and degrading rites. Children were actually sacrificed to Baal. His image was kissed. And male prostitutes abounded. That was Israel. That was God's people who were to learn holiness and were to follow only Jehovah. They were going after Baal. Jehovah was so disregarded as the God of Israel that things got so bad. I want you to look at verse 34. And this is the reason. Verse 34 is here. At first it may look like, uh, you look at that and you say, what's that doing here? But look at verse 34. In his days, Pile the Bethelite built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its, its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub, 
according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. You read that at first and say, what's what's the big deal about that? Just says that there was a man who who rebuilt Jericho and uh, his sons were lost in the process. Five hundred years earlier. At the destruction of the city of Jericho, Joshua said, spoke by the word of the Lord. You can read it in Joshua 6.26. Joshua spoke the word of the Lord, and he said that Jericho is not to be rebuilt. If it is, you're going to lose your firstborn, and you're going to lose your youngest son. See, God wanted Jericho to remain a testimony of what he had done in the walls coming down and the Jewish people taking the city. It was his battle, and he didn't want anybody rebuilding that city. In other words, anyone who rebuilds the city will lose two sons to death. There was a man in the days of Elijah who so disregarded the word of Jehovah that he rebuilt the city and he was so insensitive to to sin that it cost him his firstborn and it cost him his youngest son and he didn't stop. He didn't care. That was the day in which he lived. Even though his sons died, even though the word of the Lord said it would happen, even though he saw it happen, he went right on rebuilding the city. That's the day and age in which Elijah lived. And folks, there's a tremendous truth and application that this is the mood of the day in which we live. The word of the Lord is disregarded. The worship, there's worship of materialism, of man's accomplishments, of, of man's potential, of science, of money. And nobody really cares. Even believers disregard the word of the Lord. You know, I struggle with this as I try to apply these truths, because Elijah dealt with Israel. Israel is not America, and in one sense, we would be taking things too far to make the parallel of being America. America is not God's ancient people. Israel is. If you want a closer application, it's the church more than America, though I think we can apply it in our own society. But... Elijah lived in a day and age where God's people who had God's truth disregarded the worship of the Lord. And we're living in that day and age too. Christians are running after so many other things. Worshipping so many things. And there's, there's coming, and there is already in the church, an insensitivity to the word of God. There's immorality. There's a disregard to, to the holy standards of God. There's the sacrificing of our children, not to fire, not to bail, but to corruption, to sin, and so forth. And our day and age is not much different than Elijah's. We've got a lot of people doing a lot of religious things and religious activity, but there's very few who are worshiping the Lord. We've run after Baal as well. We just call it different things. And you look around. In a world that is corrupt, in a society that is corrupt, in the church that is corrupt, you say, what's the Lord doing? Where is he? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's preparing a weak man, a weak woman, a weak boy, a weak girl to be his instrument to address to this world and to his church. That has always been God's plan. God takes weak vessels and he uses them in the darkest hours. He takes a Noah, who's a preacher of righteousness when there was an unrighteous world, that nobody believed the Lord except Noah and his family. He takes a Moses who stood before a hardened Pharaoh, and even before the Jewish people who didn't believe him, and he says, let my people go. And now he takes an Elijah, who suddenly comes out of nowhere. He didn't take him from a seminary. He didn't go to the local Bible college and say, give me your best honor student. He didn't take him from 
the priesthood. He's taken from a wealthy family. Just takes this fellow out of nowhere. And he marches up to Ahab's palace, this Elijah, and he boldly pronounces a curse upon Israel and says, By my word, by my word, it won't rain for three years. Now that is boldness. God is preparing his man. Elijah didn't know that there were 7,000 who hadn't bowed to Baal. For all he knows, he's the only one. In fact, he thinks he's the only one. Where does a man get such courage and boldness? And what can we learn from that, that boldness and courage? I mean, let's face it. We get scared witnessing to our uh, friendly neighbors. We get scared confronting Christians to their face about sin. We've got to tell other people about their sin, hope that they'll tell them. Now, where do you get this courage? Where do you get courage like Elijah had? Well, let's look at the secret of his courage. Source of his conflicts were the day and age he lived in. He was burdened. He loved the Lord, and nobody else did, so it seemed. The secret of his courage. First of all, who was Elijah anyway? We don't know that much about him. But we do know this, that his name, at least the first part of his name, is El, which in Hebrew means God. That's where we get the word Elohim, God. The last part of his name is Yah, from which we have our word Jehovah, Yahweh. The middle, I, is in the Hebrew language, has reference to the personal pronoun my or mine. And you put it together, and it means my God is Jehovah. What a great name. My God is Jehovah. When everybody else is following Baal, Elijah, all through his life, was reminded who his God was. He must have been named that way by godly parents. We don't know the specifics. But uh, he grew up with his name constantly reminding him who he belonged to and who his God was. He grew up in an area called Gilead, in a rustic village called Tishbe, which is where we get the expression Elijah the Tishbite. This area of Palestine was wild. It was desolate. It was a place of solitude. It was a rustic area. It was not city life. It was mountainous life. And the inhabitants of Gilead, as best we can piece it together, as the archaeologists have done for us, as best we can piece it together, these people were much like their scenery. They took on the characteristics of the land in which they lived. They were, they were not well refined. These people were wild. They were um, people of rugged and austere appearance. And that was Elijah. He wasn't polished. You know, he probably uh, made noises when he took his soup. He may not have eaten with a fork. I mean, the guy was almost crude and coarse. He was not sophisticated. He was not diplomatic. But I want you to know that that is not the secret of his strength. His name was not the secret of his strength, nor was his coarseness. I know lots of people with very meaningful names, but they often fail to live up to their names. Jezebel was one of them. Jezebel's a great example. You know what her name means? Chaste, pure. So a name doesn't make a person. His courage also did not lie in his uh, non-polished ways. And let me say this, that coarseness and crudeness and lack of diplomacy is not synonymous with spiritual zeal and boldness. There are some people who think that way. Just be obnoxious and you're being bold. Uh, that is not synonymous. Those two terms do not mean the same thing. Then what made Elijah different? What was the secret of his courage, and how can we learn from that? First of all, if you're taking notes, these are very simple. First of all, Elijah knew that God was alive. 
The first thing he says as he marches up to the palace is this. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. In a day and age where everyone said, Jehovah is dead, Baal is alive, Elijah says, look, Jehovah lives, and he's the God of Israel. In spite of the fact that everyone said, look, that day and age is over with, we're now more sophisticated, we are more enlightened, and we follow Baal, Elijah announces that Jehovah lives. And you know what? He didn't just know that the Lord lives. He was willing to put his reputation out on a limb. He says, look, as the Lord lives, I'm telling you, it's not going to rain for three years. How do you make bold statements? Okay? You know, we, we're called to do that. We're called to make incredible statements to our generation. We're called to say that if you believe in Christ, you'll have eternal life. You'll go to heaven. And we get so used to that kind of terminology and language that we don't realize how incredible that is. We make tremendous statements about redemption, about forgiveness of sin, about the Lord Jesus meeting every one of our needs. Where do you get such courage to do that? Well, I'll tell you what, we can learn from Elijah. Now you get courage, you know that God lives. You personally experience the living God. I'm not talking about just salvation. I'm not talking about that you just accept him. There are many Christians who have, who have uh, uh, well, obviously if you're a Christian, you have, you're saved and you know the Lord, but it goes beyond that. There is an intimacy there. Courage comes from an intimate walk with the Lord. Elijah knew that the Lord lived. He personally experienced that. You know, we need that. We need to return to that place where our focus is upon knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. The cry of our day is know yourself, even in Christian circles. Know yourself. Understand what makes you tick. Quite frankly, I'm not really interested in what makes me tick. I really don't want to know. It would be too depressing. I want to know the Lord Jesus and let him make me tick. We need to go back to that. That's what Paul said. After years of knowing Christ, he said, oh, that I may know him. That I may, did he mean that I just might know him? No, there's an intimacy there. How do you get to know him? How did Elijah get to know the Lord? You know, did he go down to his bookstore and pick up books for a prophet to learn to know God? No. The text doesn't say this, but I am uh, convinced that this is proper interpretation. Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. James chapter 5 says that Elijah is the example of one who prayed. Out in the wilderness there, what did he do? He prayed. He was in fellowship with the Lord. Elijah never read the verse that says, pray without ceasing, but I believe his life reflected that. And he prayed fervently. Elijah knew Jehovah was alive because he spent so much time in fellowship with him through prayer. That's so important for us to realize. Elijah's courage to speak for the Lord came from his personal relationship with the Lord. He knew God intimately so he could speak for God courageously. We should all be seeking to know God more intimately. If that were true, we would probably all be speaking more boldly for God. Would you take a minute right now and pray? Dear God, help me to know you in a more personal way, to understand your ways and desire your will more than anything else in my life, so that I will be able to speak more boldly for you when the opportunities come. Do you even know God? Have you asked for his forgiveness and his salvation? Today would be a wonderful day to turn to Jesus Christ in faith and receive him as your Savior. 
Stop sitting on the fence waiting to decide whether you're going to follow God or follow Baal and the other gods in your life. Let's all decide that it will be God and God alone in our lives. I hope you are glad you tuned in to Verse by Verse today. This is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our goal is to teach the clear truth of the Bible in a consistent and uncompromising way. If you are in the area, why not visit one of our services? We are located between US-19 and the beaches in Clearwater. We have a number of very helpful resources available for you on our website, which is versebyverseradio.org. Listen to a message online or download a message from the Verse by Verse archives. If you would like more information, if you need some counsel, or if you would just like someone to pray with you, call us at 727 727- 2390306 Many people are affected by difficult economic times. Our ministry depends on the faithful giving of our listening partners. If you are able to send a financial gift to help, we would really appreciate it. It's easy to give either online over the phone or by writing us at Verse by Verse Ministries, PO Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida 337 Even if you can't give, you can pray for us. It's time to say goodbye for this session of Verse by Verse. Until next time, this is Jerry Pruden thanking you for joining us on today's program. Saturday mornings at 8. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.